was just reflecting uh, you know, earlier today just uh, how much appreciation I feel you know, for, for all of you, yeah, all of you, all of you here, all of you there, <laughs> all of you everywhere, just you know, how much dedication and courage and showing up and beauty of, of insight and exploration. Yeah. Uh, there is in, in these uh, in these halls, yeah, the physical and the and the online. And just kind of how this, you know, exploration that we've been sharing, you know, how that unfolds uh, very much together and also slightly differently for each person. Yeah. Exploration of ways of relating, ways of looking. Yeah, and our experience, um, and how uh, it's possible to attune and to cultivate ways of relating and of looking that um, increase well-being, that decrease dukkha. And I just want to touch a little bit, kind of, on on the different ways we've explored doing this. Yeah, uh, relaxing of contraction and the push-pull in those you know different ways. We've explored yesterday and today, um, and the relaxing of tanha, of the thirst, of the craving, of the demand, of the sense of preference. Um, the opening as we do that to experience with a sense of intimacy, of uh, spaciousness, of friendliness towards our experience, the whole range of our experience. So as I said, there's been, uh, and it might not be, might not feel when I say this that I'm talking about you, but I am, because <laughs> I've had the the great blessing and honor, you know, to to hear each of you, yeah, over this retreat, and so, you know, the the insights, yeah, that have that have been there, yeah, for for every single person in this hall, yeah. Uh, perhaps the nourishment that we've experienced, the seeing into you know how experience is fabricated, how it's constructed, how it comes together, yeah. the seeing of this pliability of our perception, yeah. that we can look at things in different ways and they appear different. Yeah. It's like a magic, super magic trick that one. Yeah opening to possibilities of freedom through that. And kind of just, you know, some examples, you know, that may seem, you know, just like momentary or or maybe not that, you know, radical. And they're so radical, you know, just kind of turning towards pain in the body with friendliness and seeing that it changes, yeah, even for a moment, yeah, even for a few moments. Seeing, you know, that there's subtle clinging and craving in places where we thought there wasn't. And then what happens when we attune to that? Finding your own language and phrasing (laughs) and ways of of kind of connecting to experience. It was really beautiful today with this. I think this is one of the advantages of this word, unsatisfactory. (laughs) And it pushes, it's so unsatisfactory that so many people kind of go off and find their own way, yeah, with that. You know, seeing the kind of the deeper well-being and the different flavors of well-being that that are there for us, yeah, kind of sense of, of strength, of agency, of resilience, of capacity that can come, of possibility. So all of this is kind of has arisen and is arising, is happening um, here within a particular set of conditions, of course, you know, particular set of conditions of retreat, whether we're physically at Guy House or we're at home. Yeah, they're very particular conditions that are supportive. I said it a couple of days ago, we might not feel (laughs) that the sensitivity is increased. We might not kind of notice that there's more stillness, but there is, yeah. And sometimes it's like a, it's almost like a mirage, you know. We think, oh, I'm as, um, 
I'm as distracted as I was when I arrived, but actually <laughs> the sensitivity and the stillness are growing so we can see yeah, more and more layers yeah, of the movement of mind. So particular conditions that are really supportive, really contributing yeah, to, to insight, to sensitivity. Yeah. And tomorrow, of course, they will change. Because yeah. as we've been saying, <laughs> yeah, nothing stays fixed and unchanging. Things change. And the beautiful, you know, wonderful good news <laughs> is that yes, condition change. Conditions will change, but our practice continues. Yeah. The insights um, that we've touched on, yeah, they are something that we can keep exploring, we can keep living, we can keep applying, um, we can keep digesting. Yeah. So our practice isn't limited to any particular setting, to any particular set of conditions. It's not limited to uh, times when we practice formally. It's greatly nourished by those times. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> at least for me. <laughs> but it's not limited to those times. Yeah, not to when we're on retreat. Not uh, when we're practicing formally. That's not the limit on it. So this is very much a practice, very much a teaching for life. Yeah. It's a practice and a teaching for life. Yeah. Not just for sitting still and silent <laughs> yeah. and enjoying the kind of being looked after so beautifully here at Gaia House or enjoying the, the wonders we've been discovering through the pandemic of, of home-based retreats. Yeah. And teachings are, you know, they're for life. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, we're going to start exploring, you know, I'm going to start exploring with you now, and this is an exploration to continue. Yeah. How, you know, how does this thread continue? Yeah. How do we take the practices, the insights that we've cultivated here, how do they transfer across yeah, into different conditions? Yeah. Such a beautiful part of our exploration. Yeah, that movement from the meditation seat uh, to life situations and back again, I hope, for all of you. Because <laughs> for me, that's one of the most you know, powerful things. Yeah, that movement yeah, from the meditation seat into life situations and then back again. It's a movement that enriches our lives. It also enriches formal practice. Yeah. We apply here, we learn here, we investigate here, we have insight in this arena, and then we bring it back to our seat and to the formal practice, and, and it enriches it, and then from the formal practice back into life. Yeah. Kind of an ongoing nourishment of the wholesome in our lives and in the world. I was reflecting on this today and I was remembering uh, one of our teachers um, whose name was Baba Amte. He was a, yeah, pretty incredible <laughs> person. Um, and in his kind of younger days, he, he did all kinds of things, you know. I grew up in, in India in the, in the 30s and 40s and uh, he tried all kinds of things, you know having a very pleasurable <laughs> life and then being a, a renunciate for some years and meditating. And then eventually he found his path in, in um, social um, activism, social and environmental activism. But he had, you know, that whole period of searching and looking and also that period of real renunciation when he renounced everything and just uh, meditated <laughs> um, you know, away from, from it all. Uh, and then he came back and was, yeah, like I say, decades, maybe 60 years of um, being a social activist. And we met him when he was in his 90s. Uh, and he 
used to, to come to the, the leprosy community that he founded in central India um, in the late 1940s. And uh, we'd go off and do a meditation retreat together with a group of volunteers, a silent meditation retreat that we'd bring there. And then we'd come back to the main community and have a three-week work retreat. And he would always greet us when we came back with the group. We'd always be really curious, like, how was that? How was the retreat? And how was it to be in this other part of the community that he could no longer travel to because he was too frail? Um, and one time he told us, um, he said, you know, I don't know much about meditation. <laughs> it made me laugh when he would say that. I don't know much about meditation. But when I think about it, I remember uh, this place I saw when I was young. And it was a tree who, whose roots, a very old tree, whose roots had grown into the soil and it opened up like a cave yeah, in, in the earth. Yeah. And it was a really beautiful, still, safe place. And he said that all the wild creatures would come there to rest. And that's, when I think about meditation, that's what I think of. Yeah. I often kind of have that, that image you know, of this kind of thing that is so natural and so powerful that it creates this womb <laughs> in the world, in the earth, where all the wild creatures can come and feel safe and rest. So such a beautiful um, image for our practice, I feel. And, um, yeah, not, not surprising that it comes from someone who kind of really embodied, yeah, both these aspects of, of, of life, yeah. The deep spiritual inner work uh, and then also the knowing how, the exploration and the interest to bring it into the world, to bring it into being and to create this place of safety, to create this place of wildness also, <laughs> yeah, for oneself and for others. So I want to look a little bit more uh, this evening um, at this movement from uh, retreat conditions to life conditions, or we can say from the formal practice to um, other life situations. And uh, we like to talk about this, not just <laughs> at the last day, but actually to take time Yeah, at this point. And there's also been quite a few questions about that, which is not unusual, yeah, about that relationship yeah, between our practice and what feels like life out there. So life in here and life out there. And I want to look at this and I want to um, use a particular map tonight. The Buddha uh, liked, or we don't know if it's him, <laughs> his disciples but anyway a lot of the teachings come in like in lists yeah which are like maps they help us to remember yeah. I want to look at a particular map called um, Idhipada yeah in Pali um, often translated as, as four there's four qualities that are um, seen as a basis for power a basis for I would say empowerment yeah it's usually translated as the four bases of success. Success is a little bit of a tricky word in our culture. <laughs> I think empowerment is, is probably much better, yeah. for me at least, so humor me. I'm not a Pali scholar, I just like to come up with my own words. Yeah. So the idipada, the four bases of empowerment. And it's particularly, this map or this list looks particularly at these four uh, qualities that uh, support us in the cultivation of our path. Yeah. And our path is, yeah, the path of meditation, yeah. the path of practice, uh, which includes the path of our lives. Yeah. And so often, you know, we think about our practice and we think, yeah, when we meditate, we have an object, right, of meditation. We've been kind of going on about this, 
a lot over the days. Yeah. And we meditate. There's an object of meditation that we attend to. Yeah, breath, metta, Vedana, an insight way of looking, yeah. All of these, they're object that we're exploring our practice, we're cultivating our meditation through attending to them in different ways. And then there's our attitude, yeah, which we've also been talking about. There's the object and there's the attitude. Yeah. The attitude uh, that we bring to the practice, yeah. the way we pay attention, um, or our intention. Yeah. We started off right at the beginning with our intention for practice. And so the first of the um, ED padas is really looking at that attitude and particularly um, than wanting to do it. <laughs> the love for the practice or the like for the practice or the passion for the practice. And the word here in Pali, Chanda, is even translated as desire. Desire. Buddha spoke about desire. Huh? Then the Pali scholars quickly say, oh, oh, this is a wholesome desire. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But here, yeah, it's Chanda's, a desire, a passion for our practice, a love for our practice. You know, we want to do this. We like to do this. And this doesn't mean, as we know very well, I think this insight is quite alive, it doesn't mean that it's pleasant all the time. Yeah. At all. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it's pleasant all the time. It doesn't mean that it's easy all the time. But there's something in us, yeah, that says yes. Yeah. Yes to this practice, yes to this undertaking, yes to this showing up again and again. And I kind of was remembering um, teaching some years ago uh, with someone who'd been my kind of one of my mentors when I started teaching, and I was teaching with him after quite a, f a while of not having talk together and I said to him is it okay if in the first day instructions I, I give this instruction like we did here you know about the pleasant breath <laughs> finding the comfortable the pleasant breath not just kind of mindfulness of breathing and he was like yes yeah. we really want them to love the practice <laughs> remember this he was saying that they've got to love the practice you know this is chanda yeah of course, it doesn't mean, as I said, that it's necessarily easy. But it's that sense of, yes, there's something here that I resonate with. Yeah, there's something here that I value. There's something here that's meaningful for me. Yeah. Such a beautiful, important quality. And a lot of what we're doing in practice is actually uncovering that. <laughs> uncovering it. Um cultivating it, getting to know it, yeah, becoming familiar with it, that word gom from the Tibetan that we've been using, becoming familiar with this part of ourselves that's saying yes to this. So connecting to that passion and that love for the practice and then keeping that ember going, <laughs> keeping it going because yeah, it's easy to lose touch with it yeah, in the ups and downs of practice. So we keep that going. And then as it keeps going, it, it grows, but it also illuminates our path, illuminates our way, gives us direction. So yes, chanda, desire, passion, yeah, for the path, for awakening, for practice itself, yeah, for practice itself. Um, and this is, you know, something we can do, yeah something we can do, something we can cultivate also and attune to, yeah, like I said, uncover for us. And so, you know, the Buddha spoke about this desire for awakening. You know, it's really, it's really important. Without it, how, how the hell would we be motivated <laughs> if there wasn't that fire? Yeah? How would we be motivated? And we need that fire. Of course, at some point, we'll let it go. But it's part of, of that movement. So 
we cultivate this, yeah, we nourish it, we tune to it through, you know, different things that we've done here. Connecting to intention is a big one. Uh, connecting to intention, it's like remembering, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Like sitting, walking, sitting, walking, sitting, walking all day. Breath, 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 unsatisfactory. Why am I doing this? Huh. Intention. Intention, that's one of the ways we connect to it. Through the sensitivity, yeah, that we've been cultivating to any well-being that arises, that also supports this, right? Like when we notice the well-being that arises in the practice, again, it might just be a moment. But when we notice that, when we feel that, when we allow us to feel that, yeah, that nourishes that love for the path, that love for the practice. And so that's kind of, this is the kind of the primary um, kind of movement here and the one I'm going to focus on most. Um, but it, it really then comes together with the second quality of the, the second ED, ED um, huh? Pada, yeah. Idipada. Always sounds to me like Idlivada, for those of you who've been in South India on a train. Idli, Idlivada. Maybe it's just me. I miss Indian trains. Can't believe I just said that. Apparently I do. So the second one, the second quality, yeah, so we have this love, this passion, this desire, uh, this kind of uh, willingness, yeah. And then uh, that comes together, or that nourishes, that supports uh, enthusiasm, yeah, energy, persistence, yeah, virya in Pali. Uh, it nourishes that, that kind of um, showing up, yeah, again and again, yeah, to our experience, yeah. This is when you know, we need that, when things are, are kind of less enjoyable or when we're more doubtful or confused, yeah. And that sense of, ah, that aliveness, that vitality, that comes from the desire, but also is another quality that we can uh, lean into. Yeah. We keep showing up to our experience with interest, yeah. curiosity, and that's nourished by that devotion of chanda. And then the third base, the third our quality arises in that confluence of the energy, the enthusiasm, the vitality, and, and the love. Yeah. And it's kind of bringing the heart-mind to the moment. Yeah, Rob used to call this wholeheartedness. Yeah. Like practicing wholeheartedly. Yeah. Bringing the heart and mind, the citta, heart-mind, bringing them into the moment. So we have, you know, what we'll call the love, the chanda, and we have the enthusiasm and the vitality yeah, of virya. And then we have this, you know, wholeheartedness, bringing the heart, mind, the intent, yeah, the sensitivity, yeah, the attentiveness into the moment. Yeah, so just to kind of, I don't know if this is starting to feel theoretical, so let's give an example, yeah. So we're sitting in practice, I think, um, I, think I've, I had an example just today. Yeah, sitting in, in practice and um, I had quite a bit of pain in my legs today. <laughs> there was pain in the leg, yeah? And such a strong urge to move, yeah? Or to look at the time <laughs> or something, yeah? So strong. Yeah. And then the kind of, uh, why am I doing this? The intention, yeah, coming in. And the, and the love for the practice is beyond just the movement. Yeah. It's beyond just the, the mo momentary ease. Yeah. Yeah, so bring that and then the energy. And then the wholeheartedness of just sinking in into the discomfort. I don't know if you've tried this. It's a way of releasing contraction <laughs> and bringing spaciousness. It's just like instead of that movement away from, yeah, I feel that. Like at least in my experience, it's like that. Get away from the pain. It's like, ah, sinking in. Yeah? Sinking in, coming closer. 
going closer and then the whole thing opens up. Yeah. The whole thing opens up. So I'm going to break it down again. Yeah. This pain. Yeah. And there's resistance. Yeah. And there's the really strong craving for that pain to go. And of course, I know how it goes if I move. Yeah. <laughs> it will go. Yeah. But then there's the love for the practice, the love for the path, the desire for awakening, which is to go beyond the reactivity of the moment. Yeah. So there's the chanda. And with that, the energy, the saying, okay, the perseverance, I can do this, the vitality. Yeah. And then bringing the whole heart into that. And then the fourth quality, which is this kind of evaluation and checking, what can I do? The creativity, the imagination. And then the resting in, instead of being pulled away, instead of giving in to that pulling away, resting in. And, you know, for me at least, then the, the... the, the experience actually becomes pleasant. It's very bizarre, but I know some of you <laughs> have experienced this. Pain is still there, but it's not pain. It's actually pleasant. Yeah. This mind is just something else, you know. So that's kind of. I hope that. I hope this. Does this. Does this example make things more clear or more confusing? Well, just more clear. Yes. Thank you. I asked that in a confusing way. Yeah. So as we kind of attend to our experience, we're constantly bringing in this fourth base, the base of um, investigation, discernment, uh, aliveness. Yeah? You can say, um, you know, practice is an alive process. It's alive. So we're exploring, attuning, learning, yeah? using things we know, listening to what is possible in the moment, um, using our capacity to evaluate and to imagine and to remember. Yeah, as we do this. There's a beautiful story of this from the Buddha, you know, when he was um, on his path and, you know, it was really a hardcore aesthetic (laughs) Um, and going really, like, far out, you know, not eating and sitting without moving and all of this stuff and realizing, yeah, there's something out of balance here. There's something out of balance. And he'd already had the opposite experience of just... um, you know, having a very pleasurable life, yeah, sensual pleasure, and knowing, well, that's not enough either, yeah. So what, you know, what do I do? And sitting there wondering, yeah, and then this memory appeared from his childhood. It's a beautiful story. The memory comes from his childhood, remembering, yeah, sitting as a child in the shade of a rose apple tree. That beautiful image. I don't know what a rose apple tree is, but it's so beautiful. Yeah, a child sitting in the shade, under the rose apple tree, while his father was doing some plowing. And sitting there, completely at peace and content. Yeah. And from that, you know, at ease and contentment, yeah, going into a very deep state of meditation, he remembered that many years later. He thought, ah, this is the middle way. Yeah. This is the middle way between the extremes. Yeah just sitting in the shade of a rose apple tree. <laughs> yeah, don't need wine and food and dancing um, entertainers. Yeah. Just that. And then the quiet and the stillness and the inner looking. Yeah, no need for the asceticism either. Yeah. And so that memory kind of really uh, was what supported him yeah, at the last part of his journey before awakening to find that middle way and I'm telling this story because I think it's really helpful to see, yeah, he used his memory, used his imag- imagination, he used his capacity to uh, feel into that experience and take from it something that was relevant for the present. Yeah. So we also have this capacity that we can use. So this is a quote from Tanisaro Bhikkhu, um, about these four bases of empowerment. It says, meditation that's done with a sense of properly, he's a monk, properly focused desire, uh, very, and, and a Pali scholar. Meditation that's done with a sense of properly focused desire, focused on the causes of what you want. Yeah, this is a really beautiful point. So we're focused not just on the goal, we're focused on what's going to get us there. Yeah. 
Again, empowerment, yeah, what we can do. Persistence, intentness, and wholeheartedness. And using your powers of analysis and imagination wholesomely, that kind of meditation opens up all kinds of possibilities. Yeah. This is the Itipadas as a guide, as a base for um, meditation practice. But we can take these same principles into any life situation. Yeah. That's why I'm using this map. Yeah. Also because Nathan gave me a challenge to do this talk with the Itipadas. <laughs> Sometimes we do that. So we can take them into any life situation. Here we go. You see, I'm giving a talk using the Idipadas as a way to show that transferability yeah, that we can have from our meditation, formal meditation practice into life. Because yeah? when we think yeah, about anything that we care about in life, yeah, anything that we care about in life, aren't these qualities yeah, helpful? Yeah? They underlie any sense of empowerment, yeah. any wholesome achievement yeah, that we have yeah. in any activity. We have to like to do it. <laughs> we have to have some passion for it, yeah. some desire for it. Uh, we have to have some degree of persistence, enthusiasm, energy in the doing. Yeah. We have to have some degree of wholeheartedness, yeah, of intent, yeah, of bringing the heart and mind into what we're doing. And we have to be attentive and use the capacities that we have for analysis, for discernment, for imagination, yeah, to guide us, yeah, to guide us on, on our journey. So they apply to any situation, any interaction. And so this is a real possibility for us, yeah. To say, ah, this is, we've cultivated this for so many days and now we can take it forward. Yeah? Moving from retreat conditions into other conditions. Yeah? Not for a while yet, but it's coming. <laughs> yeah? It's coming. So let's look at examples. Yeah? Something or someone that we care about. Yeah? It might be the earth that we care about. Yeah? It might be uh, the work that we do or the, the um, creative um, expression yeah, that is our life. Yeah. It might be someone that we deeply care about or love. Yeah. And we can feel that love. Yeah? We can f- take time to feel that love, to feel that passion. Yeah to feel that importance for us. This means something for me. To let it touch us and nourish us. And to keep nourishing it in return. As As it touches us and nourishes us, it's actually being nourished at the same time. It's like metta practice, right? You send metta to another. Have you noticed that yet? This is the secret. You might think you can't send metta to yourself, but if you're sending it to anyone else, it's going through you. Yeah. I've owned up. You've been sending metta to yourself this whole time. Yeah. It moves through you. Yeah. This heart, this body, this mind. So the same thing, we open yeah, to what we love and we kind of let it nourish us. It also gets nourished. When we're open to being nourished, it also nourishes our own heart and mind. And we let that inspire us yeah, into, into any kind of action, any kind of movement of care or creativity. And that's supported by energy, <laughs> by enthusiasm, by vitality. That comes yeah, in, yeah, supportive quality. The sticking with it through um, ups and downs, yeah. And that, you know, think about <laughs> think about your lives. You know, we stick with things through ups and downs. There isn't anything that's just easy. Yeah. 
So we stick with it with the support of area of enthusiasm, perseverance. And we bring intent, attentiveness, sensitivity, wholeheartedness. Yeah, there's moments when we bring our whole heart yeah, into that which is important, that we care. Yeah, we bring our it into our actions and our interactions and our ways um, of relating. Yeah, we let it guide us as we stand up for what matters to us. Yeah. As we stand up for what matters to us. Yeah. As we do uh, those things that are meaningful for us. And we use our capacity for analysis, for imagination, for discernment, yeah, for evaluation, to see what's needed now. Yeah. How do I do this? What's possible? Yeah. How did that go? What's the next right thing to do? <laughs> yeah. There's so many kind of questions that we can ask that can guide us. And so we do this and, you know, yes, tanha will arise. <laughs> Dukkha will arise. Remember them? We left them at the beginning of the talk and they're back. Yeah. So tanha will arise, contraction will arise, dukkha will arise. A louder sense of self will appear yeah. some of the time. That's not a problem. Yeah. That's not a problem. Our practice is about living well with these appearances. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing how to attend to them. Yeah. We continue to practice with them informal meditation and out. Yeah? And we know how to do this. We can bring spaciousness and softening. We can bring an attitude of metta. Yeah? We can tune in to contraction in the body. Yeah? We can do all that. Yeah? We can do all that. And we can keep finding the balance. Yeah? Finding the balance between... Um, you know, the, the contraction and the craving and the well-being. Yeah? Keep finding that balance. Keep exploring. So right now I'm finding the balance because... I'm running out of time and I want to go faster, but I'm not. <laughs> so that's the balance, yeah, right here. You feel the contraction. Ooh, five minutes. <laughs> Look at all those words that are left to say. Yeah. Relaxing the contraction right here and now. Relaxing the contraction. And everything's great. <laughs> I might just stop here. I probably won't. <laughs> so finding that balance again and again and again. Yeah, it's so beautiful. We're not conditioned to see it as beautiful. You know, we want that you know, definitive setting that we can just coast through life <laughs> with the right degree of contraction and the right degree of dukkha and the right degree of well-being and the sense of self just kind of gliding along as it needs to manifest without any interference from us. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of beauty in just showing up again and again and finding that balance, finding that middle way yeah, that the Buddha spoke about. It's a process rather than some final destination. Yeah. Uh, I was also remembering today there's a a book is probably going to appear on the resources list tomorrow um, from an American teacher in the Tibetan tradition called Elizabeth Matisse Namgyal. And she's got a book uh, called The Power of an Open Question. <laughs> and that's her, um, that's her take on the middle way. Yeah. So the middle way is always an open question. Yeah. It's always something that we need to rediscover in the moment as conditions change. Yeah. What's the middle way right now? What's the middle way right now? So sometimes the transferability of you know, things that we develop on retreat and that we develop in formal practice into our lives, sometimes it can be very clear, yeah, very obvious. 
And sometimes it needs modification, it needs uh, creativity. So for example, you know, maybe um, something like acceptance. So it might be very clear to us when we practice with ourselves how important acceptance is. Yeah, that we accept yeah, this restlessness or we accept um, this aversion yeah, that's appearing right now or this resistance to the pain. And when we accept it, it allows space to arise. And it may feel less clear <laughs> yeah, how acceptance works when we're faced with um, injustice or harm. Yeah, how do we accept that? Yeah. How do we accept that? And so for me, you know, there's something I've reflected and chewed on a lot. Um, I do feel they're very, very similar. Because also when we are meeting our own experience, the acceptance is only part of the process, right? We accept this is here. This is how things are unfolding right now. And that's so important and allows the spaciousness, the capacity um, to find the right response. It's an essential kind of part of that process. And some things we might need to accept again and again and again. And when we're in life and we're meeting, you know, things that may be difficult for us, yeah, externally. Yeah. The acceptance is still a part of that process, just the accepting that this is happening right now. Acceptance does not mean agreeing. Yeah, or condoning. This is happening right now. Yeah. I think if we think of climate change, <laughs> it's a great example because so much of what is going on is because the many people on the earth are not accepting that that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So we can see that importance of t- accepting. Yeah. Accepting there's an issue here. And that, yeah, means we meet the painfulness of that. But it also opens up the space to allow us to respond, to allow us to act, to allow us to take a stand. So all these qualities, yeah, the gratitude that we've been cultivating, again, so important to bring that into our lives staying in touch with what we're grateful for, what we appreciate. It's one of the most valuable tools we have when things are challenging or difficult, is that. And it's not, just like in our practice, it's not that we are denying the other parts. It's just that we're opening up to more of a range so that we are both more resourced, more sensitive and have much more agency and capacity. Yeah, it's opening the range, so much more movement. I'm showing it with my body because that's the way it's easiest to see when the range is narrow, so much less possibilities when the range is wide, so many more. So there was a question that um, that came uh, to us in a note and I wanted to to address that tonight because it feels so uh, relevant to this talk. Um, And the question was uh, how to cultivate the ability to stand up for what matters without ego and without dukkha, without self and without dukkha. And that's such a beautiful question that I'm really tempted to just say to take Nathan's response (laughs) and say, uh, such a beautiful question, let's just stay with the question. Because, you know, that exploration for each of us will be much richer than what I can offer, but I'm still going to offer some things. Uh, But just promise me that you'll keep that question open as well for yourselves. How to cultivate the ability to stand up for what matters without ego, without dukkha. And there's such a range here, yeah, such a range. 
standing up for what matters, yeah? Rooted in love, rooted in metta, rooted in compassion, yeah? That's one possibility, yeah? What we're rooted in. The willingness to feel pain, yeah? That's again something we're cultivating on our, in our meditation practice, that willingness to feel pain, to open to the presence of pain, the pain of the world. Also the willingness to discern yeah, that there's pain um, that is overwhelming, but there's also a feeling of pain which is uh, like a growing pain. <laughs> yeah, it's like when we grow or when we um, exercise, yeah, and we exercise our muscles and they hurt, right? There's also growing pains. Stretching the capacity of the heart, growing the capacity of the heart and of the being, yeah, to hold is again that range that extends. Kuan Yin here, yeah, her name, Kuan Yin, Chinese translates as she who hears the sounds of the world. Yeah, that's compassion. <laughs> yeah, the capacity to hear. So we can stand up for things, for what matters to us, from that place of compassion. Yeah, from that place of um, listening, from that place of being willing to grow. Yeah, with the beauty and the challenge. Yeah with the pain and the joy, just like we do yeah, on the cushion, just like we do on our seat. We can also notice, as we've touched on, that the self-sense has a spectrum. Yeah? So caring about something, yeah, there's a sense of self there. <laughs> but what is it like? Let's get to know that. And when is it the sense of self that shuts down? Yeah and that others, and that separates, and that is kind of caught up in enmity and ill will and hatred. And when is it a sense of self that is rooted in compassion and wisdom and care, and is wide and open and porous, more spacious, less personal, sense of us, care. So there's so much to practice with here. And, and kind of all of these are practice questions. Yeah? Can we care for things in the world? Can we care for things in the world? Can we act yeah, for the good of the world? Can we act against harm without engendering more of the seeds that have caused the harm that we're standing up against. As practitioners, this is such a question for us. How do we act? How do we stand up for things? Against injustice, against harm. How do we do that in ways that don't feed that same movement that we're standing up against? Does that make sense to people? Yeah. It's a practice question. And it's there, you know, it sounds like I'm just talking about activism maybe. I hope it's clear that I'm not just, it's it's like that in our relationships. (laughs) Yeah, with ourselves, with our loved ones, with our colleagues, yeah. How do I, yeah, how do I embody that which I wish to see? How do I bring my practice into my life? in ways that support the wholesome and the beautiful and don't feed that which is harming and harmful. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, yeah, we're getting a sense of possibility. Yeah, so much is possible and also getting a sense of how much each of us is needed in this world, in our own way. Yeah, we're all different. We all have different gifts to offer and different arenas that we act in. But, you know, we move into the world from retreat with responsibility, yeah? Ability to respond and with power, empowerment in our hearts 
in our minds, in our beings. Yeah? To relate to our lives and to the world in ways yeah, that do not feed ill will, that do not feed harm, that do not feed ignorance. Yeah? Contraction, craving, greed, <laughs> hatred. Yeah? That reduce the push-pull and demand yeah, of individuals, of societies, of our whole species. Yeah, that reduce self-centeredness and that increase well-being, that increase well-being for all of us, yeah, all of us, and for the world that we share. So let's finally end here. Thank you for your patience. Now I just have a a quiet moment together. So thank you for your practice and your listening and your presence. Let's uh, have, uh, have about 20 minutes for some walking, being outside if you wish. Just letting ourselves be nourished by this place this practice, this community. And we'll be back here at quarter to nine for our last sitting of the day. Thank you.